Good morning. 11 o'clock, everybody good? All right, that sounds all right, satisfactory. Uh, my name is Derek, I'm the pastor here, so welcome aboard if you're new. Uh, if you've been away for a few weeks, welcome back. We're right in the middle of this series, uh, three weeks long, little mini-series on uh, community growth service. Uh, as I said last week, let me just reiterate a couple things. When it comes to knowing um, what God wants out of our life in particular situations, for example, should I take this job? Should we move? Should we take the promotion? Who should I marry? Who should I date? All these different questions that we go through. When it comes to knowing exactly what God wants uh, for us in each of those little you know, specific situations in our life, it can be very difficult to discern that. It can be quite a mystery in trying to figure that out or, or those things out. And oftentimes it's just kind of this ongoing discovery process of failing and then possibly finding the right spot, the right person, the right place, and all these different things that we go through. But in knowing God's, we would say around here, his will or his plan or his desire for you uh, and me in those particular situations, that can be really stressful to figure out. You really can't do it alone. I mean, you kind of need people around you to guide and you know talk you through some of those uh, big decisions. But there are at least, and I say at least because there's probably more than this, but there are at least three things about our lives um, that God has the exact same plan for all of us. Uh, there's, no, there's no difference between you and me on these three things. Like these, are, these three things are things that you don't, you don't even have to pray about. Like when you're seeking God in one of these three areas, like you don't even need to pray about it. Like he's fine if you, he's okay if you talk to him, that's fine. But it's kind of like you don't really have to ask him whether or not you should do these things. One of those is, and we'll talk a lot about this next week, is that you serve people. Like you don't have to pray about that. Like God, should I serve this person? You don't have to, you don't have, to say that prayer. Um, because the answer is always what? Yes, right? And so you don't have to pray that prayer. It's like to live a life where you look for those around you that have needs that you can meet. That's always a yes, always a yes. Uh, Another thing, and we talked about this last week, is that uh, in terms of faith and uh, just life in general, God has no desire for anybody to do life alone. Like there's no plan for him that you live in isolation, that you're lonely, that you have no one, that you have no friends, that you're just kind of doing this thing on your own. Like, that's not his will for anybody. And so his plan for us, his plan for you and for me, is that we always have somebody that we're doing life with or a community that we're a part of, especially in faith. And then today, uh, what I want to talk about is how faith grows, uh, spiritual growth, spiritual progression, faith progression, whatever you want to call it. Uh, God's plan for everybody, wherever you are in your faith, is that it takes some steps forward, that you have some next steps in your faith. And the cool thing about this is, it doesn't really matter where you are, it's still the same plan of God. Like, you can be in this room today simply because you have a small interest in Jesus. Like, that's all you have, though. You would not say that you're a Christian, you wouldn't say you're a Christ-following person, you don't, that, you don't associate with that, but you do have this interest in learning more The cool thing about that is that's no different. God's plan for you is no different than the person who has been following him for years, if not most of their life. The plan is still the same, and that is that you take some next steps in your faith forward. And so wherever you are on the spectrum of faith, belief, doubt, and struggle, like it's just, it's always the same, that you take some steps forward, that you begin to move forward in your faith and understanding. So how does that even 
happen. And I want to talk about that today. And one thing I want to put out to you uh, that I'll say a number of times this morning is that faith grows best uh, in ongoing conversations. It does not grow best on its own. In fact, I'll make a case today that it kind of dies there. And it grows best in ongoing conversations with people. And so that's something we're going to talk about quite a bit today. Let me tell you uh, or share with you a few things that get mistaken uh, for spiritual growth. These are just sort of mistaken identities for spiritual growth. I have a list of at least four for you I want to show you on the screen. But one of them is that it's about information. So when you think about spiritual growth, you think about growing in your faith, the first thing that comes to your mind, and maybe this is where you sit, is that it's all about just collecting information, like learning more and more about the Bible, more and more about the story of Jesus, more and more about theology, more and more about church history, all those things that I know you're really involved in, right? But it's just about information. It's about learning and piling on more and more knowledge, which is not bad. Like, we should continue to learn, and that's why we're here. That's why we're in small groups. That's why we have classes. That's why we do these things to continually kind of build up our knowledge base about God and His Word and His mission in the world and all these different things. Like, but information alone can often be mistaken as a maturing faith. But what we know, what I know from experience and what we just know from, you know, reality is that lots of knowledge about God doesn't always mean that you're mature in your faith. Because our universities are filled with professors with PhDs in theology that don't believe what they're teaching. It has nothing to do with, because I know all this stuff, that I'm deeply connected to God. It doesn't mean that at all. And so we can have a lot of information, and maybe you choose, you know, people like choose their church environments based on this, like it's a teaching church, I want to teach and learn and just keep on piling on knowledge, but if that's where it stops, if it's just information alone, it's a mistaken mistaken identity when it comes to a maturing faith. Another one is that, and I see this a lot, is that somehow you get into your head that a maturing faith is one where you start to see perfection in your life, and maybe that's a strong word, but like you get what I'm saying, like you have this notion that if I'm maturing in my faith, then I'm, I'm improving as a person, which I guess would obviously be true in some respects. But there's this standard that you've put in front of you that you'll become perfect in some areas. And it's true that maybe what you struggled with two years ago, you don't struggle with anymore. Or maybe, you know, some outlook on life and certain people, like you're better at that now than you were before. But there's never this perfected state in our uh, faith development. We don't ever get to a place where we're perfect in that. Now, we may, quote-unquote, perfect some certain things, but as an overall uh, faith development issue, like, we don't ever get there. We don't ever land to a place where we're like, ah, I'm perfect. Another one is that we feel like it's passive, like we're just on the receiving end. Kind of like the informational, but it's more like faith is just something that you know, growth in the faith is just something that happens to me, like it's poured on me. Like people just are teaching, you're listening to me, you're listening to something, you know, some people are saying, you're reading books. It's just, there's this passive state of like, I guess I'll just grow merely through presence. Like I'll just be here. And uh, therefore I will be different. I'll grow and change. But it's not passive. It's a mistaken identity. Faith is actually quite a wrestling match. Uh, We'll talk about this a little bit in an upcoming series, but just the word Israel means to wrestle with God. Like, it's almost like God, like, is inviting you and me to, like, come on, let's, let's knock this out. Like, let's work this out through conflict and struggle. 
And uh, so it's just, faith is not passive. It's quite involved and it's quite active. The other thing is, there's this feeling that you'll arrive. There's like this arrival gate mentality. Like, growth in the faith is something that you accomplish and then you move on. Like, the faith thing, got it, now I'm moving on. Like, I'm getting off the plane, I've arrived at my spot, and I've, I have developed, as far as faith development goes, I'm there. Uh, the first indicator that you might be toying with this is, uh, for example, uh, if, a, if a verse goes on the screen on a Sunday morning and your first thought is, oh, I'm tired of this verse, right? I'm tired of this verse that God loves the world. Like, I'm tired of this verse. And the, pro- and the problem for us as pastors, like, there's nothing new in the Bible. Like, there's no new information. You know what I mean? Like, we totally missed this whole book of the Bible, and it's totally different than the other ones, right? Like, that doesn't happen. It's always going to be repeated stuff. And if we get to the place where we're thinking when we see a verse or hear a topic of a sermon or whatever, and we think, I've already done that. We kind of are toying with this arrival gate mentality, like faith is something that you have these checkpoints and you've arrived and you don't need those things anymore. And so all these things, and plus there, of course, there will be more that you could add to this list. But these are the four big ones that I see in my own life and then also in, in your lives as I interact with you, that they can be, these things can be mistaken as a faith that is growing. But what I want to talk about today is something a lot different uh, than that. Our verse for the, for the series is this very simple verse from Acts 2, and uh, it goes like this. Uh, the writer, Luke, is describing the first generation church, and these are the words he uses to describe them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we'll talk about today, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Now, last week we talked about that middle piece, the fellowship and the breaking of bread. And essentially what Luke is saying here in the middle is that in addition to they're learning a lot through the apostles' teaching and they're still devoted to the spiritual disciplines of prayer and so forth, there's this middle piece where the church was just really good at hanging out together. There was a social construct to the church that was quite compelling. And the word fellowship, by the way, is the word koinonia. It's a spinoff from the word koinos, which means in common. And historically, this word koinonia is made up. Like, it's just kind of one of those made-up words to describe what's going on in this first-generation church, where there was lots of, diver- lots of diversity of class, of economics, of race, of language, of gender. All these things were meshing together in the first church that it was quite odd culturally, it was very upstream culturally, that this word koinonia is almost coined just to describe what's going on. Like, look at, look at what's happening in common in this community of people that actually just, they don't share anything in common. This was one of the things that, in fact, in, later in Acts, the first time we hear the word Christian, it only happens two times in the Bible, and the first time we hear it, it was given to the church in the city of Antioch, fourth largest city in the world at that time, because the church was so diverse and yet getting along so well that, they, that the, the culture around them named them Christians, the Christ's people. Like, there's only one thing that could do this, and it's Jesus. It's the Christ. So we have this nickname, Christian, simply because people are looking at this type of community that's happened. So we talked about it last week, just like this need for a church that is, uh, has a very good welcome sign, like all kinds of people can come in and encounter the story of Jesus at whatever level they're on. But there's 
Also, this component that we don't want to miss, it's just that the church hangs out well together, like it parties together. It knows how to, you know, get together and have fun and do all these things that are important to relationships and so on. So we talked about that last week. But today, um, I want to talk about this front part that says the apostles' teaching. Now, if you don't know what an apostle is, the apostles were the people who were with Jesus uh, in person. Like, these are the people um, that Jesus hung out with. These are the people who hung out with Jesus. These are the people that you read about in the gospel stories, the biographies of Jesus in our Bible. These are the people that were essentially with him, witnessed the things that he saw and did and said. They recorded a lot of his teachings for us that we read today. But they're also the people that Jesus sent, uh, which is what apostle means. Apostolos means the sent one, the messenger. He sent them to tell the stories of Jesus, to tell the stories that they experienced as well. And so you've got this setting of these first churches where the apostles' teaching is being, you know, passed on. But the cool thing is, in some of these house churches that were meeting at the time, the, the very apostles themselves would have been in there. And they would have been sharing these things firsthand. Like, we saw Jesus do this, and it tripped us out. Like, it was really crazy. He walked on the water. It was crazy. And, uh, or he healed, he healed this man. And then somebody in the house church says, oh, yeah, that was my brother. Here he is. He can see. Like, it's incredible. Now, if that happened today, it'd be kind of weird. You know, like, you know, I'm teaching on Jesus walking on the water, and someone says, yes, I saw him do that. And we all go, okay. Uh, <laughs> come one, come all. You're welcome uh, in this place. But, but then it wouldn't have been odd. It would have just been like a nice perk. Uh, to be in the right house church at the right time, you know, like, wow, Paul is here today, you know, or Peter is here, or Matthew is here. I mean, all these different people that ran with Jesus. And so you have this picture that Luke gives us of the first church devoting itself to hearing these stories and learning about who Jesus is. And the, all of this is helping them grow uh, in their faith. It's helping them develop uh, their faith and their trust uh, in Jesus. And the thing about the word devotion. This is so important for me and for you this, that, that Luke says they're devoted to these things. So it's like, in other words, they're not bored with these things. They're not uh, put off by these things, but they're devoted to taking next steps in all these areas. They're like devoted to cultivating all these things from relationships to fellowship to prayers, and, but also to what they're learning and how they're growing in their uh, faith. And so they're devoted to that. Uh, and again, it doesn't matter where you are on the, on the spectrum of faith. Like, devotion can be, devotion to learning about Jesus can be just as strong for those of you who aren't quite sure if you believe the stories yet. In fact, you might be even more devoted to finding truth than those of us who have just, it's become old hat. And so devotion is wherever you are. Like, there's a constant devotion to learn more and more uh, about Jesus, but also about a devotion to growing and taking next steps in your faith. I want to show you a verse that, and there are many verses like this, many passages, teachings like this in the Bible, but I chose the, the simplest one for me, uh, and maybe it's one you've heard before, or maybe it's brand new, but again, it's not in isolation. A lot of the Bible talks about this in many different ways, but this one verse describes, in my opinion, uh, it describes best how our faith grows, how it develops, how it deepens, how it matures, and it comes from Psalm uh, 145, almost at the very end of the Psalms, and it says this, one generation will commend your works to another. Crystal clear, isn't it? Now, all this is basically saying is the story of God gets passed on from generation to generation to generation. 
That's why we're all here, by the way, because they keep telling the story. And it doesn't get shut down. Like, over a couple thousand years now, at least for the story of Jesus, like, it just keeps getting told. One generation keeps telling the story of Jesus to the next, and then to the next, and to the next, and then here we are. Like, we're all here because someone keeps telling the story. Someone keeps passing down the information. Someone keeps, you know, instilling the stories and the teachings into the younger generation. But the word that I want you to really zero in on in this, in this verse is the word generation. Because when you see the word generation, what you're seeing and what we, what we begin to hear from the verse is that there is a differentiation going on between age groups. You know, when you, when you see the word generation and when you hear it, when you read it, you're, you're being alerted to this is about old, older people. I don't want to say old people. This is about older people and younger people. I mean, otherwise the word generation wouldn't be there. It would just say people tell the story to each other. But there's this, and I know this might be a difficult word for some of you because you don't like authority, but there's a hierarchy of narrative built into this verse that the stories of God get told from older to younger. That that's how it happens. That's how we're all here. What we're doing today isn't new by any stretch. It's just something that we have learned through the years and through the generations and the millenniums of just people telling and retelling the story one generation to the next and then to the next and then to the next. It's a brilliant passage. I mean, it just makes so much sense. I mean, when you see the word generation, we're, we're alerted to, okay, this is about hearing the stories from people who are older. Now, what does that mean? Well, one, it might just simply be literal. Like, one generation, you know, born in the 40s, tells the next generation, born in the 60s, the story. That's what happens. Like, just the literal generational progression. But another way to read this, too, is just simply uh, there could be people that are older, quote-unquote, in the faith than you and me. They're not necessarily older than us, but they've just been with God longer. They're wiser in their faith. They have roots that run a little deeper than we do. I hate to use this term, but it makes best sense to me. But there are just people when it comes to faith that are better than us. They're just better at it than we are. And they're older than us. They're a generation ahead of us in the faith. And they're important to have in our lives. My son takes guitar. He's taken it for like three years now, I think. And, um, and it's really incredible because he's taking from a real guitar teacher, right? Not like from me, you know what I mean? And, you know, like we pay the guy. It's like for real. It's like legit. Like we pay him and he teaches him guitar. And the way he teaches him is that he teaches him to read the music, which I'm out at that point. Like I, he's already ahead of me as an 11-year-old because I can't, he's asking me to help him. And I'm like, <laughs> Let me show you this uh, Black Crow song that I know. Like, that's all I got, right? <laughs> but he's like, I don't understand this music on the sheet. I'm like, I don't either, you know? But, but anyway, so he's learning for real how to play guitar. And it's, it's totally worth the investment. But what I remember about learning to play guitar, and I am better than my son, by the way. <laughs> but when we learned to play guitar, uh, this is how we learned. Because I, let's just go back to 1988 when there was no internet, 
Because my son will come out of his room and say, hey, I learned this song. Where'd you learn that song? On YouTube. Oh, YouTube guitar. Okay. Uh, we didn't have that. This is how it worked at my school. I'm lucky enough to go to a high school that allowed us to bring our guitars. And so any open spot that we had on the schedule, like we would circle up and play guitar. Like that's what we did. And, but that's also how we learned to play guitar. You brought your guitar basically because you wanted to get around people who were better than you and you would say to them, show me what you got. Like, show me how to play this song. And you would hear, again, not through the internet or anything like that, you would just hear down the hall, in the lockers, somewhere, and someone would say, hey, uh, David knows how to play this one song. And you're like, oh my gosh, so you're tracking down David. Show me how to play this song. And then he shows you what he's got. And then you feel all good about it, and you turn around to the guy who's not as good as you, and you go, check this out, I can play, I can play this R.E.M. song, you know, which is strikingly similar to the last R.E.M. song I learned to play. But, uh, so... That's what we did, though. Like, we learned, we basically learned to play and get better by seeking out people who were better and then begging them for five minutes of their time to show you how to play Stairway to Heaven. That's how you did it. Nobody read music. And I I guess you can't do that for trumpet or something like that, but for guitar, it worked. And it was like, this is how it worked for us. This is how it, this is how we learned and grew as musicians Uh, basically this folk sort of telling of the stories. This is what I know. Let me pass it on to you. And then you are so happy about it that you pass it on to somebody else who is lesser, has less skill than you. And that's how we grow in our faith. We find people who, again, are just further along than us, and we ask them to pull us along. But there is also this other piece to it, Again, just using the guitar illustration. There's also this other piece to it where we turn and teach someone else who's not as far along as we are. Now, in the faith, it's very important to remember this. There are uh, people that are ahead of us, and there are people that are behind us spiritually. And again, wherever you are, it doesn't matter. Like, that trio always works out. There's you, and there's people behind you and ahead of you, and that's always the case. And uh, I want to show you what I call the sweet spot of faith growth. It's just something I've put together here for you. Um, But it looks like this. There's the word you in the middle. That's you and me, by the way. What color is the word you? What is that? I said it was green last hour. And I'm colorblind, though, so that's why. Um, That's why I wear black all the time. Now you know. Um, But the sweet spot of faith development and growth is this right here. That you and I, we'll just say you, are in between people who are ahead of us and behind us. Meaning, uh, the teacher, I just use teacher and student to help illustrate this. There are those people in our lives that we would say they're teachers. They have more to say about faith than I do, and they can help me, they can help me grow, they can help me learn, they can help me develop in my faith. And they're teachers, which may just mean that they're a year ahead of you in the faith, or six months ahead of you. Again, it doesn't matter. They can be two days ahead of you. Like, it just really doesn't matter. Like, for example, let's say um, the person on the other side of the equation here, the student, someone who's behind you spiritually, let's just say they're a full-blown agnostic or atheist, like they have no concern over, you know, they have no concern about faith issues, right? So that's that's your student, right? Then there's you, who are, who are, who is, simply just interested in finding out about Jesus. Like, that's, that's the only, that's your, you don't go any further than that. That's it. But you have this friend 
who attends church, but he's not a believer. But he attends because for whatever reason, like he's going. You would not say, this guy's deep in the faith, but he's ahead of you, right? He's here on Sunday morning, right? And so you've got this trio is there, whatever level, like you have no faith, but you're interested and you've got a friend who goes to church, but is not a Christian, but he's ahead of you because he's hearing things that you're not hearing. And you've got this guy behind you that has no interest, but he's a friend of yours. And so this this sweet spot is the same for everybody, where there's always somebody ahead of us and somebody behind us. And here's why this is important. It's important to make sure that we're in relationships with people where this equation is happening, where there are people that are further along in their walk with God than we are, and then there are people that are behind us, so to speak, in their walk with God. There are people that we're learning from, and that there are also people that we're turning around and speaking to and teaching them as well. And here's why this is important. If it's just one or the other, if I'm always the student and never the teacher, then I become this person that loves to consume faith stuff, like I'm just a faith consumer, uh, I don't even know what to do with myself. I just have so much faith in me. You know, like it's so cool to be under such great people, these amazing mentors. And like, I love this seat. I love this spot. Like I'm just, they're just pouring into me and it's a great place. But if I don't have someone to turn around to and say, let me tell you what I'm learning. And they're behind me spiritually. I just become this sort of consumer. If I don't, if I'm just the teacher, Right? And, you know, you have these people, like, they just love to teach you things. They love to tell you things and how you should do things. You don't have people like this in your life? Okay. But they don't listen to anybody. Like, they don't receive any, they're not good instruction receivers, if that's a term. Like, they don't receive instruction well, but they give it superbly. Like, if you're only the professional, if you're only the pro, if you're only the rabbi, and all you have is this person where you're just, you're like coaching them along spiritually, but no one, is, no one is ahead of you, or at least you don't see anybody that's ahead of you spiritually. You can become very arrogant in your faith. I can become very arrogant in my faith. And so if both of those things aren't present in my life, the result is the same. I, my faith becomes very self-centered. It becomes very much about just me. So it's so important that one generation commends the story of God, the works of God to the next and to the next and to the next. So it always means that someone's speaking to me, but it means that I'm also speaking to someone else. Someone's ahead of me, someone's behind me, and that never changes. Whatever level I'm, I'm at in my faith. And the great thing about having people behind you spiritually is that it reawakens some things that that maybe you've moved on from like years ago and then you, you develop this relationship with somebody at your workplace or in your neighborhood or whatnot and they start asking you about your faith and you say, like in your mind, like you haven't thought about um, the reliability of scripture in years. Like this is not even a thought for you. Like you open the Bible, you read it and you're, you're just, it's amazing to you. Now, 10 years ago, maybe it was a struggle for you. Like, I don't know if this is true. Who wrote this? I mean, is, can we rely, is it reliable? Like, you haven't thought about that in years. And then your friend 
that you're starting to speak into says, I don't think that, that stuff seems like a fairy tale. That just doesn't even seem true. A whale and a person? No. Like <laughs> Jesus walking on the water? That's ridiculous. And you haven't thought about that in years. But if you have that person in your life and it's intentional, it's an intentional relationship that you have, it reawakens some things. You're like, okay, I need, to, I need to be on my game. I have to really learn how to talk about my faith, which, this is the beauty of it, which forces you to find people who know more than you. I mean, the key to spiritual growth is to try to tell your story to someone who doesn't buy it. And then you've got to seek out people. Uh, you've got to seek out people who know more than you so that you can find some answers. Like, that's a good question. i got to go. And then you... And then you email me, <laughs> and what you don't know is I email my brother, and then, uh, and then I email you back, and I go, this is what I found. And uh, it's beautiful. It's the way it works. But nobody just knows it. You know what I mean? Like, you've got it. Does it make sense? Can I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here. Let's move on. Oh, wow. Lots of notes left. Okay. I'll skip some stuff. Um, Two stories, and then we'll, we'll close. So my friend Dave, uh, whom I worked with when we were in youth ministry days together, um, our church that we worked for did not have small groups. Like, we have, we have small groups. That's just how we do things around here. We didn't have that. We, had, we still had the Sunday schools. Anybody grew up with a Sunday school? I think I just said Sunday. Sunday schools. Um, <laughs> Sunday schools rocked because, like, they brought donuts and juice. Like, you could just pilfer. As a, as a high school student, you could just roam the halls and, you know, hey, man, the Crusaders class has the best breakfast, you know, uh, and the worst name for a class, by the way. And, uh, you know, there's the newly marrieds and nearly deads and all those different classes, right? So that's how it worked. That's how it worked. And um, that's what our church had. Like, we didn't have, there wasn't these, like, small groups that met. Uh, in people's homes and whatnot. But my friend Dave, like, he lived in this neighborhood near the church, and he had gotten to know all his neighbors really well for a couple of years, and then he came in one day, and he was like, he was challenged through something. I forget if it was a book or something he heard, but he said, hey, I'm, I think I'm going to start a small group in my neighborhood. And I said, well, well who, who's going to be in it? And he's like, I'm just going to invite my neighbors. And I said, well, that's cool. He's like, problem is, none of them are Christians. And I was like, Wow, are you, how are you going to do that? And he's like, I'm just going to ask them. Because he's like, they know I'm a pastor, and they make fun of me for it, and they make fun of the faith, but they keep talking about it. So I'm assuming there's a small interest in either, you know, completely debunking it or just learning more about it. So I'm just going to ask them to come over, and we'll just start a small group for them. I was like, that's, that's amazing. That's brilliant. Like, that's scary, actually. <laughs> I said, what's your, what's your curriculum? Like, what are you going to do? Like, fruits of the, like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to teach in that situation? He said, I'm going to let them tell me. And I said, how are you going to do that? And he said, it's real simple. He worked this out. And again, I don't know if he stole it from somewhere or if he just came up with it. He's like, first session, I'm just going to pass out three by five cards, and they can just write down the biggest question or two that they have about Bible, God, Jesus, faith, whatever, the church. They can just write it down, and they're just going to give it to me, and then we'll have dinner, and that'll be the end of night one. And then all the things that they gave me, that'll be the curriculum. And week after week, we'll just go through it. I was like, wow. Okay. And he invited them over. And so it's him and his wife and like four couples that have no, just very little interest 
Their interest is that Dave's a friend of theirs, and they feel like they might owe him because they've made fun of him enough. And so they fill out these, you know, they write these things down on the cards, and, and then for the next eight or ten weeks, they just start shooting through this stuff one by one, not necessarily solving everything, but just, you know, he put himself in a place where he was the teacher. And there's these people, like, way behind him, you know, and they got these questions that he hasn't thought about in ten years. And they're working through this together. Now, I know you're probably waiting for the amazing ending to this story. There is a really good ending. I mean, several of those people were baptized in our church. Like, we got to watch that. Like, that really happened. That just happened. Because Dave said, I'll be the teacher. I'll make sure that people are behind me, and I'll allow them a safe space to sort of deal with these things about faith. It's an incredible story. Incredible story. Another story similar to that happens here. Um, one of our elders, very good friend of mine, Steve Rose, um, has been leading a small group for years. I don't even know how long now. But uh, he and his wife, Debbie, have hosted and led a group for years. And they have been a part of this church since I was here. Like, so they came right after I started about six years ago. And the story of them coming here is a great story in and of itself. But when they arrived here, um, you know, they did what most of us do. They sat in the seat and they listened to me. And they sang some songs, or they just watched the band sing the songs. And then they left. That was pretty much their involvement. And then one of our staff members, Jamie, at the time, was ramping up for another season of small groups. He was leading those at the time and working with those teams. And he approached Steve and said, hey, will you lead a small group for me this fall? And he said, I don't think so. I don't do that. You know, like, that's not my thing. Like, I don't, I don't do that. And Jamie somehow convinced him to do it. And I don't know how he did that. Like, Jamie is like a wizard at, like, <laughs> getting you to do something. And, uh, but, you know, after many conversations, like, Steve said, okay, fine, I'll do it. Now, Steve will tell you, and this is true because I was here to witness this, he did it kicking and screaming. Like, I don't want to do this, but I feel like you're just going to keep asking me. So I'll do it. Maybe you're serving in the nursery for that very same reason, right? Um, or maybe you're leading a small group for that same reason. Like, <laughs> you can identify. I'll have you call Steve, and you guys can ha- get together and huddle together for warmth. But it's, it's exactly what happened. I mean, he went into this new role, kicking and screaming, to quote him, kicking and screaming, because his whole life he had just been the student. And then here's a friend, a pastor, a leader coming up and saying, I need you to be a teacher because you've been, you've been a Christian a long time and it's, it's time to, to turn that towards other people and help them. And the great thing about his small group, as is with a lot of our small groups here, is that uh, he would say and Deb would say, his wife, they would say that the group that they've been leading for years has become so much like family to them. And they're, they're much younger. It's like he's I don't want to say how old he is, but he's older. Um, and the, you know, the, the, the people in his group really could be his own children. And there's this sort of family vibe going on. And he takes so much ownership in it, so much passion about that. But it was all because someone asked him to do it, and he didn't want to do it. And he kept getting asked, and he was, you know, he was drug into it, kicking and screaming. But the whole the, the story 
is the evidence itself and that he, A, today is still leading, but has said in, on numerous occasions that that has been one of the most pivotal things for him in his faith and in his involvement in the church because it forces him to listen and it forces him to go back to places that he hasn't been to in a long time. And just on the other side of that, just like learning guitar, we have to have people that are so much better at us at this whole faith thing. And to be willing to, you know, seek wisdom and experience from them. Because a faith dies. It begins to die. The death of a faith is when we don't have those people. When you're doing it on your own, it doesn't, it doesn't last very long. Faith grows best in ongoing conversation. Uh, let me close with another, uh, I think we've quoted Barbara Brown Taylor um, for about a month straight. So let me just, uh, first of all, let me find the chapter and, um, and read this to you. And this is, for some reason, taking longer than I had anticipated. Um, this is the correct book, is it not? But she, <laughs> yes, here it is. Uh, she is writing, this whole chapter is about encountering other people for this very reason. I mean, this whole narrative of generational, you know, the passing on of the story and how it's so important for us, um, you know, to, to make sure that we've got these people uh, in our lives. And she closes the chapter and it's very profound, so hang in there, and, and I'll do my best to, to remix it for you at the, very, at the very end. But she says, this practice of community and having people to work your faith out with, this practice is not designed to place you or those you love in danger, although it may help you discover how dangerous your own fear can be. The assignment, she says, is to get over yourself. And the assignment is to love the God that you did not make up with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like that, which is to love your neighbor that you also did not make up, as if that person were your own strange and uh, particular self. Do this, and in doing, you will, uh, and in doing, and in the, and the doing will teach you everything you need to know. So she moves towards this from theoretical because like, we could just, I could stand up here all day and like, theoretically, we should be in community. Like, everybody's going to agree with that. But she moves from that and saying, why don't you just do it? Why don't you actually behave into a community? Why don't you actually participate? And then that will teach you the truth. Because you can't really know until you do it. And she says, do this and you will live. And essentially, all she's saying is what we need to hear time and time again and that's that it's so important for us to make sure that we squeeze ourselves between people who are ahead of us and behind us, who are different than us. This is why diversity of faith, in, even in a small group, is so much more important than affinity or a shared level of faith. If everybody in your group is on the same level and agrees with everybody, break it up. Get out of there, because it's not helping anybody. In fact, it's probably dying. There needs to be some vitality in our community, and that happens most through people who don't quite believe what we believe, and they're struggling, 
And then there are those who are wise and very experienced with God. That's the best small group because everybody's learning. Everybody's growing. Everybody's refining what they know. And that's all she's saying. Like, get in those places where everybody isn't the same and where God is God and he will do what he does in those kinds of communities. So the next steps for you um, as a church, all we can do is what we can do and we can offer to you what we can design and create uh, in our own, you know, basically we can give you what we can give you and that is these small groups and these parish communities that we are leading and designing and resourcing, those are for you. That's what they're for. Like we love having you on the, you know, in the seat on Sunday morning. In fact, don't ever stop doing that. It's a divine thing to be here. But in terms of working out your faith, it happens out there. It happens in those communities. It happens in your neighborhood. It happens in those small groups that you're a part of. And so my challenge to you is you just got to make those steps towards those people. Um, You know, pick up the information today. Find out when the gathering is in your neighborhood or near you and go. Meet some small group leaders, you know, Ask them about what the group's like, where they meet, when, and what it's going to be like if you got in there. Like, put yourself in those. You've got to make the steps towards those people. If it's not here, if it's not at anything that we can offer, that's okay. Maybe it's three or four people in your workplace, or maybe it's some friends of yours in your neighborhood. But you've got to put yourself between people who know more than you and who know less than you. And start that journey. Start moving one generation to the next. Make sense? Okay. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll share in communion together, uh, which is located. Uh, the two tables in the front and the two in the back. If you're new with us, uh, we do this each week. Um, and it's, uh, it's a reminder of the life of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, ultimately the hope of his return. And uh, so we do this every week to center our hearts and our minds on why we're here. And, um, and so wherever you are um, today in your faith, Um, however deep or shallow that is in your opinion, um, the great thing that the bread and the juice remind us of is that God loves us where we're at, and he pulls us forward from where we are, and um, step by step, day by day, his grace and mercy leads us and guides us. So let me pray, and then you can make your way to one of the four tables at your own pace, and then we'll sing. God, thank you for today, and thank you for those uh, people in our lives that... um, so connected to you that we look up to and we say, I wish that I could be like that. And meanwhile, knowing that they've got people like that and those people have people like that. And, and so we, we need to be continually surrounded uh, by those who have been with you longer. And so, Father, I pray that you do that in our lives. I pray that as people make a run towards small groups this fall, that they will find those relationships where they can seek wisdom and guidance and instruction, and that their faith can grow. But God, that you also give us the courage to turn around and find those behind us that they have an interest in who you are, and, but they just don't know where to begin. And teach us to, as we learn, we teach. And God, help us to live into this truth that, that one generation will commend your works to another. And God, that doesn't happen passively, it happens actively, and we, it happens in conversations, and it happens in the relationships that we all have. God, help us to remain a safe place 
for all levels of faith here. That wherever people are and their questions about you or their journey with you, that this is a safe place to work it out and to bang it out. We love you, and as we take this communion just now, we pray that you encourage us, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.